This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. to episode number 76 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. If you knew what Nick and I have been laughing about right before we started this show, you would love it, but it's not appropriate. And we're not going to tell you, but what is appropriate here is episode number 76. Uh, We're recording this actually on Saturday night, August 28th. So if you're like, why does it sound a little different, their information that they're giving us? Well, that's just one, that's us. Our show just kind of sucks. But two, if you stuck around to listen to everything, specifically the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup, the information will be related to Saturday night, as of course, that's when we're recording. We've got some information. Why did the Minnesota Wild sign Jordy Ben? Does it make any sense in our eyes? Um, and you can tell us what you think if you'd like as well. And then the extra ice session, we're going to talk a little bit about some offer sheets as well, too. You won't want to miss it. And Mr. Maxson, let's get started here with Center Ice View News and Notes in the Huskies. Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. off this episode's Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup, a little bit more sombre news again. Uh, seem to have a lot of that lately. I think that needs mm-hmm. to change. But uh, yeah. unfortunately, more uh, personalities around the hockey committee, unfortunately, have left us. And some in pretty tragic circumstances. Uh, five former hockey players in the past eight days. Uh, we're going to start up north of the border in British Columbia. Three hockey players uh, were killed after driving with what authorities seeing speed was a significantly greater than what would be the posted limit. Again, specific details have not been released in this incident. Uh, Parker Magnuson, Ronan Sharma, and Caleb Reimer. Uh, they were uh, between 16 and 17 years of age. Uh, this was an incident that happened last Saturday. Um, three teams were men of the Delta Hockey Academy in Surrey, British Columbia, and uh, just un- unbelievable. It just brings me back um, uh, a couple to, of... To Humboldt a couple to years Humboldt, ago. To Humboldt, yes. Yeah. Uh, to Humboldt, and just, you know, it, it's tough to lose one teammate, Noah, but three, I mean, my goodness, that's just our thoughts and, you know, our prayers go out to um, all three of those uh, players' families, their friends, and, of course, that hockey community up there in BC, uh, up there in Canada. So uh, sticking around a little bit closer here in the U.S., uh, this one was quite a shocker, too. Uh, Jimmy Hayes, just a, a young, 31 years of age, uh, was found dead last Sunday um, in his Milton, Massachusetts home. Um, definitely a, a, not a cause of death that we know that has been um, released yet. 
Uh, he leaves behind uh, two very, very young children. I think that's the worst part about this news. And I'm, I'm pretty confident his youngest is only a few months old, if I recall, too, uh, Noah. So just an unbelievable tragedy. And again, um, our thoughts and prayers go to Jimmy Hayes, his former teammates, um, obviously his wife and kids and their families. Uh, the Boston Bruins organization, he played for Chicago, a few other NHL teams, just unbelievably tragic to uh to yeah. have this very unexpected passing yeah don't forget too uh, of course his brother kevin kevin hayes is his younger brother that plays for the flyers and uh they played at bc together at boston college actually won a national championship in 2010 jimmy did i don't think kevin did it was just jimmy that was on that team uh 334 nhl games and his last one with, was with new jersey in 2018 so it's been a little bit since he's been in the league but uh i'm um, just really difficult to hear about Right. And uh, last professional hockey was uh, that next season in the Wilkes-Barre Scranton uh, mm -hmm. with the Pittsburgh organization. So, again, uh, sad news. And then finally, uh, a little bit more of, of, I guess, a different way. But uh, Rangers Aachen Rod Gilbert passed away at the age of 80, nicknamed Mr. Ranger. Uh, prolific winner, 406 goals, 1,021 points in his NHL career. Number seven is retired in the Raptors of Madison Square Garden. Uh, after 1979, an 18-year career, he's also an inductee of the Hockey Hall of Fame. That happened in 1982. So, again, uh, the Rangers, uh, you know, just – unbelievable and uh just and and the personality of, of Raj Gilbert I remember seeing a couple uh, of storylines uh, on social media about Raj Gilbert there was one actually video where he's actually standing by himself I believe at Madison Square Garden he had a jersey on and there's a bunch of people approaching him he just looked like a guy that you could anybody could really approach and just you know grab a picture or, or have a chat he just seemed to be a, a very big family man and just you know a man of the people you could say no so again yeah. uh Raj Gilbert at the age of eight yeah, super impressive. His four to six goals and over a thousand points, still club records even to this day uh, for a Rangers organization that's had a pretty storied history as an original six franchise. Uh, moving over to international news, uh, the United States uh, in the Women's World Championships, they dropped a five to one contest to Canada the other night. Uh, that actually marked the end of a 29 game winning streak for the U.S. and the first time that Canada actually has beaten the Americans since 2013. So it's kind of a Kind of interesting to see uh, how, especially the U.S. women's program, really on the rise there. So best of luck to them as they move forward. Uh, on a higher note, U.S. forward Hillary Knight did break the all-time goals record uh, at the Women's Worlds. Uh, USA was routing the Russian Olympic Committee during the game. Uh, she scored international goal number 45 in that tournament. That's a <laughs> It's a lot of goals. I don't care who he asks. It's a lot of goals. It's 45 more than me, so that's that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> pretty darn impressive. Uh, in St. Cloud, women's hockey news, of course, we've got a couple of players that are in the tournament right now. Uh, finish forward, Yanina Newland, getting ready for her senior season. She tallied a goal in four games so far. Uh, they're playing later tonight. Uh, um, Clara Himlerova, junior forward, she added an assist, and she's got a plus two rating right now for the Czech Republic as of tonight as well. And then former Huskies forward, Laura Kluga, uh, she had a plus one rating in four games played for Germany, soon to be five as Germany Germany's not faring so well in the latter stages of their game here as well, too. So Germany had Canada tonight uh, and Finland and the Czechs. They're going to square off in the late game at the start of the medal, the medal round, which started today as well, too. Five teams from Group A, U.S., Canada, Finland, the Russian Olympic Committee and Switzerland. They were automatic locks for the medal round. And the top three teams from Group B, the Czech Republic, Japan and Germany uh, were the advancees, if you will, into the middle round today. And uh, Germany and Japan are already out. So the Czech Republic is the only team from Group B that is left to have a chance. Um, and it's going to be Laura Kluga and Yanina Newland, Finland and Germany tonight. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how this one uh, ends up and best of luck uh, to the two remaining ladies uh, that are playing today. Uh, a little bit more closer to home here. <clears throat> you might want to cut that one out. 
sometimes you get a frog in your throat and you're not really sure why, you know, folks, but how about this? Leave it in. I don't care. Uh, but let's actually bring it in closer to home. Uh, this is some surprising news here. Uh, no, I think it maybe cost us some people off guard as uh, I think Michael Russo, again, just on top of everything, anything that's related to the NHL and more specifically the Minnesota Wild, uh, he had announced that uh, CSKA Moscow, again, the team in Russia that uh, Kirill Kaprizov had played for, uh, the rumor that there was an off, you know an offer for a contract as of September 1 that maybe he would sign, maybe he wouldn't. Uh, we never really actually heard, Noah, uh, to clarify whether Kaprizov had intent to sign. We just knew that there wasn't a contract offered by the team, uh, but it sounds like they actually indicated that he will not be signing there. So this whole Russian debacle thing can almost be put to bed. Uh, so at the end of it, I think this is positive news. And uh, unless you're the kind of real caprice off agent, that means all of his chess pieces are now off the board. So mm-hmm. um, at least, you know, I think it's a significant blow to the negotiation tactics that he's uh, had for been a part of almost six months now. Um, still no official contract game between the wild and Kirill Kaprizov uh, between those two clubs. And again, the waiting game continues. And the closer we get to camp, I think the, an- the anxiety continues to climb here uh, with the, the wild fan base and uh, any Kirill Kaprizov flame around the NHL. <laughs> well, however, the wild did add a signing and it was 34 year old defenseman G uh, Jordy Benz. Cause he, he is the brother of stars, captain Jamie Ben, one year deal worth on hundred thousand dollars. Um, yeah, 10 points, 51 block shots in 39 games, uh, last season, uh, kind of a journeyman defenseman here. No, a good depth signing, uh, definitely will probably be number seven in that rotation for Minnesota. And I think a little bit later, we'll talk about maybe what that impact has on the wild roster as you move forward. Uh, but speaking of other NHL signings, because I have a couple more that have come forward, um, a couple eight-year deals at seven and three-quarter million dollars. It was Philadelphia's Sean Couturier and Carolina's Andre Svechnikov. Uh, matching deals, uh, again, Svechnikov had 61 points and last uh, year's shortened season, I think 56 games, so over a point per game for him. And then the Flyers adding some depth to him as well. Center Derek Broussard has signed a one-year deal with Philadelphia. Calgary. Uh, did finally get into a deal with a uh, uh, restricted free agent Dylan Dubé, three-year deal after a 22-point campaign at his age of 23. Uh, and then some news for Jack Eichel. We keep, you know, wanting to know where the heck is this going? Maybe significant, maybe it's not. Jack Eichel has switched agents. No, he has dropped longtime agents Peter Fish and Peter Donatelli, and has now got the big dog in the house. He's got Pat Brisson uh, of CAA Hockey. Uh, again, some noteworthy clients of Pat Brisson, Sidney Crosby, Nathan McKinnon, Andre Kopitar, Patrick Kane, and John Tavares, just to name a few. And you kind of wonder, you know, if this is going <laughs> to move the needle. It may not. You know, sometimes, you know, you put a new voice and, and, you know, you got to wonder what he may have to offer. Um, and maybe, it, you know, does the relationship with Buffalo, maybe they want to you know, kind of rekindle that, or are they really trying to get for, you know, finality to get him out of Buffalo uh, yet to be seen, but uh, kind of an interesting move here by Jack Eichel to uh, get a new, uh, a new player agent to represent him. And welcome into episode number 76 here of the Huskies Warming House podcast. Noah Grant joined alongside my co-host and Nick Max. And uh, if you were just listening to our, uh, what you would call the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup, we were just talking about Jack Eichel. Uh, Nick, I got to be honest with you. I mean, I, I was thinking about this as a Minnesota Wild fan and the Kirill Kaprizov situation that you also mentioned as well. Uh, I mean, it could be worse Minnesota Wild fans. I mean, you look at the Jack Eichel situation, there's a star who wants out of where he's playing. I mean, Kirill Kaprizov hasn't publicly 
or from even what we know very privately stated that he wants out of Minnesota. So, I mean, everyone kind of pulling the 10 bell alarms, if you will. Um, you know, I think that there's a good example of somebody who actually wants out of a city. So I was just thinking about how Minnesota fans need to kind of take a chill pill. The other thing too is, um, and, and I don't know if they're entering their last year. I didn't look if these were extensions um, or if they were end of summer things, but I mean, uh, Sean Couturier and Andre Svechnikov, I mean, the late summer signings for those guys, are those extensions? Yeah, because you can yeah. only extend up to eight years if it's your current team. So yes, those are extensions. Right. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure they weren't, um, they hadn't been signed or they were signed through the season. The, my point being is that it was a late summer signing, which again, the Kirill Kaprizov thing, uh, people again, just need to pump the brakes a little bit. We haven't started training camp yet. Also uh, speaking of Minnesota wild players, um, Mara Kuznadinov and uh, Marco Rossi, both looking really good right now in their respective uh their respective teams and, and their play as well, too. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, Marco Rossi, I tell you what, he keeps playing the way he does. Matt Boldy has a decent uh, camp coming up in a month or so. Those two guys could be penciled in in that Minnesota Wild roster for the big club. They they've look very, very good uh, to start things off. But, Nick, you're welcome to comment that on that if you want. But otherwise, we're recording the show on a Saturday night. How are you doing this evening? Uh, getting ready for the Thunder and Lightning. Um, outside, you know, kind of interesting. What do you mean? I'm not down there. Oh, that's true. Yeah, you're way up in the uh, you're the boondocks of North Dakota. Mm-hmm. Um, which uh, do we even talk about the North Dakota statue at this point? I mean, uh, it's oh boy. awful. It, I oh um, boy. I, I know. I, mean, I know the news report didn't um, didn't report what was written on there. I don't know if you got to see what was written on there. I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna announce what was written on there. But it was like that. It is the most UND esque thing to write on that <laughs> i didn't i didn't see what was written but it, it does i mean regardless of what was written right the fact that it, it was there what a week and uh the vandalism and you know I, you kind of wonder noah and i get that you know here in this country there's 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 different beliefs there's free speech there's all this you know big stirring pot of uh, of different uh you know uh, i guess you know idealisms and whatnot I guess my question for you and D and for you and D fans are, um, you know, at one point it is when, when do you take that next step forward? Right. And I know yeah. that, that the, I know that the Sioux, the fighting Sioux were a namesake for a long time. Um, and it's been changed now for what, almost a decade now. Yeah. I think it was 2013, 2013, yeah. I believe, or 2012. Yeah. So it's been some time. Um, I guess the only question I would have is, at uh, one point, you know, do we sort of just say it's just a name? Um, and I get it. There's history there. I, I understand. And, and people are, are welcome to comment and blast me. I don't really care at this point. But, you know, I just it, the it's the vandalism on that statue is telling to, you know, where where that fan base is still at. And I get it. You know, it's one thing to be hooked on a name for historical purposes or whatnot. It's another thing to go and to to vandalize a statue that's supposed to represent yeah. you know a, a new step forward and um it, it's just it's unfortunate to see you kind of hope that um you know i i guess you know we continue to take steps forward but with that being said noah um well, i do want to comment a little bit on the Kaprizov and the uh the jack eichel situation yeah you know it's interesting because we have training camp coming up and I think, you know, there's a lot, been a lot of he said, she said, 
um, you know, between Eichel's camp and the Buffalo yeah. Sabres, right? It's been very, very clear that they're very much divided, um, you know, be, uh, between the two sides right now. However, here's what I will say. Um, you know, I think the biggest telling point would be, does Jack Eichel show up for training camp? You know, there's a lot that you can say without having to say a, a one word, right? And I think mm-hmm. that's kind of where I think the next step in this process is, is, you know, and with Pat Brisson, you know, what does he bring to the table to, you know, if he really truly wants out or is Buffalo sticking to their guns? And again, I don't envy the position of GM Kevin Adams because you do have a superstar top 10 center of the National Hockey League on your roster. You definitely don't want to lose him on your roster. Um, however, if you're Buffalo, um, you've lost a lot of your talent this offseason. Um, but that also means that if you are going to trade him, you need to make sure that you get fair market value return for him. And it's, it's really unfortunate. We talk about the Minnesota wild and, you know, buying out Zach Parisi and Ryan Suter and the cap hell, unfortunately that's going to create starting uh, next season. And for three seasons thereafter, um, how, what, how different would that look if the pandemic hadn't happened and the salary cap wasn't stagnant at 81 and a half million that we're seeing for the next who hound goes long, right? So mm-hmm. um, it's going to be an interesting saga to follow, but uh, you got to wonder from Jack's camp, but, you know, maybe he was just upset that things weren't getting done. And so he brought in Pat Preston to see if he can move the needle, try to actually get a deal struck. Um, so we'll see what happens. Yeah. Y- you know, when you look at what the package that was requested, you know, was um, from Buffalo's camp as well, too, I-, I think that there were two things that really played into this. Number one is the fact that they still won't let him get the surgery that he wants. And on top of that, um, they didn't release his medical records, essentially like a couple of teams had hoped. I think if one, if you let him get the surgery that he wants to get, and two, I think if you're a little more forthcoming with, yes, he had this neck injury. Yes, this is the surgery he's going to get, but yes, this procedure, you know, is X, Y, and Z. I think teams would have been more comfortable. And then I think knowing that, you know, I think it was essentially two NHL ready players and two prospects was kind of, you know, are somewhere around there with draft picks and such were kind of the assets that were asked for. I think if you drop one of those uh, specifically, maybe one of the, one of the prospects or one of the NHL ready players, I think that the asking price becomes a little bit more reasonable, but now Buffalo has really put themselves in a spot where they um, are going to have a hard time moving the player. And the other thing is too, um, you know, nobody has to take Jack Eichel. Jack Eichel has five years left. He's going to lose that. um, He's going to lose the ability to, um, move anywhere essentially with the no trade clause, obviously that, um, you know, Eichel can waive that at any time if Buffalo finds a deal that's suitable to him, but really the Buffalo Sabres have been handcuffed by Jack Eichel and the Buffalo Sabres have been handcuffed by the Buffalo Sabres. And likewise, Jack Eichel has been handcuffed by the entire process too. It's just a messy, messy deal. Um, and it's difficult because, uh, you you have a player that's obviously coming up close, you know, in a few years to the prime of his career. He's a great hockey player, number two overall pick, would have been number one in probably any other draft, and not been paired with Connor McDavid that year. Um, but you gotta wonder, you know, with the saga that's gone on in Buffalo, there's always been question marks about Jack Eichel's leadership abilities and his demeanor because he's played for a really crappy hockey team for most of his career in the National Hockey League. I would love to see kind of similar to the Taylor Hall situation, how he finally adjusts when he plays on some good hockey teams. Um, but at the same time, I think if this drags on and drags on potentially for the next five years, I mean, uh, how old will Jack be at that point? You know, maybe in his thirties, if I'm not mistaken. And that's where it's like, you know, you're kind of, 
even if you get a guy that you sign to a 10 year deal or whatever it is, uh, 10 years, whatever it is, you want to get the best out of him and have him be the most productive and content that he can be. And we're not seeing that from Jack. And I think it just really hinders what could be the prime of a player's career in the end. Obviously this, like I said, the Sabres don't have to do anything with him, but it's just, it's really tough to see because you only get one kick at the can to play in the national hockey league, whether you're a top 10 center or you play two games in the league. So um, the other thing I wanted to add to you, by the way, on the North Dakota piece really quickly, um, I, regarding the vandalism again what was written it didn't really have a whole lot of reference actually to the fighting sue nickname but i thought it was interesting how the vandalism transpired into all the news articles talking about how this is still fighting sue country this the name still this and that so you're you're totally right in that respect that you know we even took something that the vandalism and what it said really didn't have a whole lot to do with it um and it still turned into that issue so und uh, they have plenty of things to figure out uh, to put it lightly uh one thing they have figured out, though, is uh, how to put a good hockey team together. I'll mm-hmm. tell you that much. Um, so for what it's worth, I mean, uh, you know, again, you, you just, uh, you know, it's an open platform here in the United States. You know, everybody is entitled to their opinions and their, their values, their beliefs. Uh, just don't vandalize property. <laughs> yeah, That's all it is. At the yeah, end of it, fair. it doesn't it doesn't really do anything. Um you know, so you, you can, you can vandalize our executive office. We'll give you free reign to do that. There you go. go ahead. Yeah. Have, if you can find fun. it. I was going to say, have fun finding yeah. it. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Noah, let's, let's talk about one other thing. Uh, just because I, I wanted to comment on, on Kaprizov too. Uh, I, I do find it surprising slightly uh, that CSK Moscow would actually make that announcement. Um, cause normally I, I was going to say good on them in some respects for, for, being, no, it is. for being like, Hey, Minnesota, like you have this kid, this kid's an NHL talent, do your thing, like get it done. You know? Right. Here's what's surprising though. Um, is that normally if it's not a player that they have property or interest over, why do you even make the announcement? Right. So it is sort of, sort of peculiar from a PR standpoint. Um, but as you mentioned, I mean, it is good on them. Um, the thing about it is now, how does this affect the negotiations moving forward? Right. <laughs> Cause you just basically blown a large leverage point, which we have said all summer on this channel that this yeah. is a bunch of BS. This is nothing mm-hmm. more than posturing. And it's just part of that game that again, we know that this is the bridge we, everybody knows each other's side. It's, it's not like you're hiding, you know, this is, you know, a sleight of hand. Everybody knows each other's cards and what's in their hand. Right. You're just trying to see, who can essentially bow first and who can get the most out of this deal. Right. Well, now with the, this announcement, you kind of have to wonder how the agent for cool Kaprizov is going to actually do moving forward. Right. Cause a a lot of it is, and Michael Russo actually had, if you listen to uh, one of his podcasts with Anthony Lopanto, they were talking about, how Kirill Kaprizov, you know, is 24, and maybe that uh, essentially the the premise of this this segment on the show was, you know, one thing about how these negotiations are, are kind of he's souring the fan base because I don't I think what Kirill Kaprizov and this is my opinion, right? And I think it's shared amongst a lot of folks who know the situation well. Is I don't really think Kapri, uh, Kirill Kaprizov has had any input in this in this at all. Honestly, I think it's been like he's my agent. This is your job. Go take care of it. I'm just going to focus on training him. You know taking my summer and, you know, going to have a buddy's wedding. I think for him, it's been very hands-off to be honest with you. But one thing that they were sort of talking about was at some point if something doesn't change, right. You know, he would 
the suggestion from Russo was he, he's got to jump in and, and just get this done and just start demand. Hey, to, to his agent, you got to sign me to a deal, man. This is getting too much because, you know, there's a lot of angst in the Minnesota welfare office and rightfully. So he waited so long to get here now, even less than a full season and a very drawn out um, off season mm-hmm. re-signing. Um, and I get, he's got that right to do so. Uh, but your salary in relation not only with the, with the front office, but you also saw a relationship with the fan base too. Yeah. Um, and that's and important, right? It's a, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. It reminds me really of the William Nylander situation and it's going to end one of two ways. You're going to sign the kid to a deal, um, you know, or at worst trade him or not be able to sign him, which would be terrible, but uh, never mind that I uh, re- regarding that he gets signed uh, and ends up like William Nylander where people are kicked off at him for half a year, but then he starts to produce and starts to live up to that contract or you're going to have the other direction where it's going to be a Jack Eichel 2.0, if you will, and be a really nasty breakup between a, a hockey team that's hopefully uh, trying to get better and a player that has um, some serious all-world potential. It could be very painful for Minnesota or best case scenario, they they get him signed. We forget about him in five years because uh, he puts up more points than Connor McDavid. I don't know. <laughs> right. And I, I think honestly, and from, you know, again, just dissecting this whole negotiation, I, I don't see it that way. Um, I do think that, again, I've been confident since day one that he, they will get a deal done. Uh, but now things have changed a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I'm kind of and, wondering, you know, my question to you yeah. is, you know, what if you're Kirloka Prisov's agent, uh, Theophanis, um, now with a large part of what you're trying to hold on for leverage is now off of your hands. Now what? What do you do if you're really if you're really trying to take this firm stance that, you know, give me all, give me everything up front or I'm going that way. Well, now your safety net's gone. So now what do you do? Yeah. He's got one card up his sleeve and it's, uh, it's not an ace. I'll tell you that much. It's probably about, I would say it's like a 10, <laughs> 10 or maybe, maybe a Jack. And that's essentially seeing in Minnesota will hold out to the 11th hour and say, you know, we got to get this kid signed before training camp. Cause we don't want him to go through December. That's his last, last trick in the bag, to be honest with you. Um, I think the question that you really have to ask yourself is, uh, and this is again, where you play the game and you play the bluff a little bit. At what point does Kaprizov step in? And if he doesn't, at what point, if you're the Minnesota wild, do the the alarm bells start to go off? I guess at what point do you start to hit the danger zone of like, um, I remember we had the Kevin Fiala situation where Kevin Fiala missed almost a week. I think it was a training camp. Um, That's one thing. Um, And even that is difficult, but I would say anything you know, that's on the tail end of, okay, this is all right scenario, provided the contract isn't absolutely ludicrous and he lives up to the contract. Anything beyond that is where the danger zone really starts to get opened up. So I'm trying to remember, do you remember the start of when training camp or players have to report? Um, it's mid-September. It's like two weeks away right now. Yeah, and I was like- going to say, I, w- I would say anything close to maybe 16, 17 days at the most, uh, anything beyond that is alarm bells better be ringing in the Minnesota Wild organization. So I would say the next 10 days or so are going to be really pivotal for us to really see if something is coming to fruition. And I think if you're the Minnesota wild, that's the direction you obviously have to start pushing and try to, even if you're knowing that, yeah, it's going to be three years at six something mil. And the difference is 6.5 a year versus 6.7 a year. You're at least close. You're at least to a point where if you have to give in, you're okay with being where you're at, but 
if you hit that point where it's the 11th hour and that's the one card, like I said, that Caprizos camp has left in their bag and you're still not close on a deal. That's where it's like, Oh boy, there might really be something here. That's going to be an issue. So, um, I mean, that's kind of my thoughts on that. Uh, Nick, we are at 25 minutes or so on the show. I, I'm curious to hear your opinion on the Caprizov situation, uh, but then we should roll into our next topics because that would be important. So uh, what do you got to close us out here? So as I mentioned last week, I, I did at that point say, this is going to roll past September one. Now yeah. that, now that sort of, you know, faux timestamp or deadline, it's almost irrelevant at this point. Right. I think now what's relevant is now is training camp and then yeah. regular season start. Right. So, um, you know, again, I'm with you on this. I think that, you know, now that this so-called threat is off the table, you kind of wonder, is that enough to break the seal for these negotiations? Right. Um, and again, does Kaprizov himself get involved? If he is from all accounts, from what we've heard from reporting and from very trusted reporting sources, right. Um, he plans on being here. He plans on being in the state. And maybe that's part of it too. Maybe you call both them in the office. You maybe have them, you know, maybe a, a sip of whiskey or a beer or, or vodka, you know, if, if that's what Kaprizov <laughs> likes to drink, who knows. Right. Yeah. Uh, but no, but in all seriousness, you kind of say, Hey guys, we got to get this, we got to get this figured out. Right. Just trying yeah. to have, you know, I think as long as there's been communication between two parties, I think at any point something can snap. Right. It's when, you know, if you were ever hearing reports to Dylan's like, well, I haven't talked to him in so long. Um, that kind of deal. That's when you should be worried. Cause that means they're not even wanting to talk at this point. Right. That's kind of what it feels like with the Jack Eichel and Buffalo Sabres are yeah. kind of bad is that they, they, they almost have written the final chapter of that relationship they are exactly. already in the, in the book. Whereas I think here there's been, again, as you mentioned, uh, just the continuation of, we know that some, some, at some point, one ice pick's got to fall. I do think one significant one has just done that. And I really do think that um, over the next couple of weeks at the very latest, um, we're hoping to see an escalation and hopefully a deal done. So I'm still confident it'll get done before the start of the season. I, I, I still think that that's possible. Um, but definitely as each day passes, that anxiety level is going to start to rise from both the organization, the fan base, and even probably Kaprizov himself. I mean, again, you got to wonder his you know involvement and from what it seems like it's been a very hands-off approach. I kind of wonder if he's going to start to get involved and maybe start pushing for a resolution in, in this contract debacle. Yeah, it, it's going to be an intriguing ride for Minnesota Wild fans if it hasn't been already. But we are not in the danger zone. We we are on the highway to the danger zone. See what I did there? Um, but we are, uh, we're not in Top Gun territory quite yet. So let's just all take a deep breath. We got a couple more weeks. And then once we hit that point, if – after next week's show, start to feel a little uneasy. And if we're still talking about how he doesn't have a contract in episode number 78, there's a problem at that point, I would say. That's fair to, to, to go through there. Uh, speaking of things that aren't a problem, uh, as we transition into a couple of topics here, uh, very quickly, first, our trivia question, a guy who doesn't have a problem uh, stopping a puck anyway, as long as he gets the first one of the day, that's David Rennick. Uh, and he was the subject of our trivia question uh, this uh, earlier today, actually. He has 6,615 minutes in a men's hockey sweater and 2,664 total saves. Who is the one player that David Rennick has yet to catch in both goaltending categories? And what years did this player play for St. Cloud State? Seawalker952 was our winner. Nick, do you have any idea who, um, who is the goaltender that Rennick has to catch? 
I I saw the name. I don't remember the name, so I apologize. But it was mid '90s, and it was what 3,500 stops exactly. Yeah, 3,500 saves, 7,665 minutes. And granted, this is over four years. David Rennick has an extra year. Granted, he split, you know, his earlier times with the Huskies, but still, Brian Lightsa. That's <laughs> that's one heck of a um heck of a workload uh, for that Huskies group. And that was when St. Cloud was really starting to kind of grow um, kind of the tail end of the Matt Cullen years, moving into those teams in the late nineties, early two thousands. And that was really when the program really started to gain traction under Craig Dahl. So, um, and Brian lights, was a big part of that. And if you haven't gotten a chance to check out his story and his journey over the past couple of years, it's well worth your time as well for some St. Cloud hockey history. We're probably going to stick, I would say about at 45 minutes before we transition to the extra ice session. We do have a quick little two minute topic. I want to get to before we talk, about Jordy Bennick. Can you quickly fill the listeners in on some news that we also have in the college hockey world about Alaska Anchorage and the Seawolves yeah. program? Yeah. Some encouraging news. Uh, the Again, we talked about this, I think, was it last uh, this last spring? That was when the, the news first uh, broke that yeah. uh, the, the university was looking to, again, disband um, uh, the Alaska Anchorage hockey team. Um, and you had that uh, very nice-looking jersey hung, uh, hung up. over here. Um, that's, uh, it's green. So you can't see it cause it's a green screen. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, at the end of it, um, you know, a very storied program, um, a program that uh, Gophers fans uh, for sure around the twin cities are very familiar with, you know, uh, as being a former WCHA opponent, uh, but they had a goal to raise $3 million uh, in order to, uh, save, uh, save that school. And I believe they have two days left and they're $300,000 short of it. Um, so they are very, very close to doing so. Uh, but again, Noah, you know, you, you hate to take a high note, but also have a reality check. Uh, Alabama Huntsville, um, RIT, um, they're still left with, there's two parts of the equation, right? That's, do we have the money? By now, how do we fix the logistical problem of how can we sustain it, right? Yeah. Uh, so uh, it sounds like Huntsville still kind of in the loop of finding the conference. From what I understand, RIT, its last little bit was they would not play its upcoming season because, again, they want to try to uh, find the logistical and, again, trying to secure themselves into a conference. Uh, so, again, this is only, you know, I guess one part of the journey here for Alaska Anchorage. It is encouraging as long as they hit that goal. But then, again, the real work comes in and is now how do you solve probably the worst absolutely worst travel schedule uh, that any college hockey team uh, could have. So uh, it's encouraging news. I'm glad to see it, but uh, you know, part one of many still to come to save that hockey team. Yeah, hopefully that program, obviously, of course, uh, a current St. Cloud State assistant coach used to be former head coach of the Seawolves, Dave Shyak, uh, spending a long time there, actually designed the jersey that, uh, if you could see it, it's over to my right, uh, over my shoulder there. But yeah, it's a program that, you know, they've never really, unfortunately, found that true traction and success in the postseason that I think that they they really have hoped. But nonetheless, it was always fun to see the Seawolves uh, come in. I think, uh, and, and I don't say this uh you know, in an offensive way, I think they were always, especially before the age of social media, they were always a curiosity, right? When they came into town and you saw the Seawolves on the schedules, oh, the team from Alaska is coming down. Kind of cool, you know, to have them in the WCHA, but now it's, uh, they deserve to be in the world of college hockey and uh, they've proven their weight and a very um, hopefully exciting future for them if they can find a way, one, to raise that money, but two, to gain some traction in the college hockey world. So, um, and I love their jerseys. Their logo is so cool and the history behind it, just a super cool, um, uh, marketing and branding design on top of that too. Cause you know, I'm all about that, right? Mr. Maxson. Yes. <laughs> uh, but speaking of marketing and branding, let's turn over to our Minnesota wild here with about 10 minutes left here in the main portion of our show uh, recently signing 
34 uh, year old defenseman Jordy Ben to uh, I believe it's a one way uh, $900,000 contract. Uh, like you mentioned, probably going to be that seventh defenseman. You've got Alex Golgowski, Jared Spurgeon, Jonas Rodin, Matt Dumba kind of rounding up the top four. Uh, then uh, Dmitry Kulikov and uh, John Merrill, uh, maybe rounding out the top six. And then I would say after that, you've got Jordy Ben, and then maybe Kalen Addison would be the eighth defenseman potentially in that group come playoff time. Uh, Nick, first reactions to this signing, um, and then we're going to get into a little bit of uh, does Kalen Addison play a factor in this at all, or should Kalen Addison play a factor in this at all? Um, but regardless, what was your first reaction when you heard the news yesterday? Uh, so first of all, you know, when you, when you hear of a journeyman defenseman, uh, signing 34 years old, again, Jordy Ben, uh, first of all, decent contract one year. Right. Uh, but there's, there's some reading between the lines here, right. Um, that's some depth and more importantly, Jordy Ben's got some size to him. He's got some grit to him. And the one thing that we've noticed, uh, throughout, you know, especially the two teams that were in the Stanley cup final, the big part of their success was their defensive cores were trees. And they were big trees. Yeah. Um, so uh, bigger defense, uh, bigger defensive core that could still skate. Again, Jordy Ben is not the most flashy guy. He's definitely more that stay back defenseman, but he's a guy that can be physical. He can be uh, uh, kind of feisty in front of the net, which I think Minnesota Wild uh, do if they do need some injection of. But more to answer your question about Kalen Addison, um, how does this read? Well, first of all, let's talk about Kalen Addison just a little bit on the surface level, right? He's a 21 year old, uh, defenseman yeah, who kid. saw, you know, a, a young defenseman who saw, uh, some good NHL time, uh, last year. Uh, but you know, does it, do you sign a guy because of Kalen Anderson or do you not? It's kind of both. I mean, if you think about it, Noah, right. Um, mm-hmm. so first of all, let's talk about the developmental process a little bit, right? So for Kalen Anderson at 21 years of age and for anybody, I mean, Let's even take Matt Boldy. Matt Boldy come over from Boston College. Um, after the Huskies knocked him out and ended his college career, he signs, uh, gets, and yeah, and, <laughs> and goes to the American Hockey League. And you know he had to adjust a little bit, but then he started to play very, very well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but he had ice time. He was on the power play. He saw you know great. Uh, he saw some special teams playing the PK, so he was able to get lots of ice time, lots of exposure in different situations. He's able to adjust to the HL lifestyle. You know, Kalen Edison's, you know, he spent pretty much all last season in the American Hockey League um, and the season before that. So he's had that there. But again, he's 21 years of age. Uh, number two, it's not a knock on him because Jared Spurgeon, for a guy that's what, five foot nine or five foot ten, plays like he's sometimes six foot four, just of just yeah. how he plays the game, right? Very intelligent uh, player. Reminds me a lot of how Nick Lidstrom used to play. Doesn't have to throw a body check to be effective. So, correct. Uh, but his body positioning is always, he's always in the right spot when yep. he needed to be, right? Uh, Kalen Edison is not quite the same player as Jared Spurgeon. I think uh, Kalen Edison's more towards him at Dumba in terms of being more that offensive defenseman. Um, can play a little bit physical, but man, in the playoffs, he, he was getting. He was getting run a little bit um, yep. and nothing that's anything wrong with that. But you look at that and obviously when Bill Guerin is assessing, you know, the team and he's making these changes this off season and he says, you know what, I got to get bigger. I got to get probably stronger in my back end. And maybe the, the impact of this also for Kalen, he goes, you know what, he looks good, but I also think he needs more time to develop too. Right. And that's possible. Right. And that's not a knock yeah. on any hockey player, uh, but for a guy that's only 21 years of age, he's got a very, very high ceiling. And maybe, uh, again, we see a lot of these defensemen that he brought in on one-year deals. Maybe it's a one-year where you say, hey, you know what? Maybe the the conversation with Caleb is, granted, he could easily earn his spot in training camp. There's nothing that says that he can't, right? Yeah. But I think what these signings, 
do is it first of all creates competition, which is always a good thing, right? You always want competition uh, to push a young defenseman, right? Uh, number two, what's to say that Bill Guerin is going to stick by his guns? And as you mentioned, the top seven, uh, including Jordy Bennett, that's going to be the NHL roster. And maybe it's a Ben and John Merrill or somebody that's rotating as the, the healthy scratch, right? Uh, yeah. But I think what you say to Callan Addison is, you know what? You are a really good hockey player, but there's a couple of things we want you to get better at. The only way you can do that is you're going to have to play a lot of minutes. And I think you had mentioned before too, and I want to get uh, your takes on that. So I want to do your thunder, but <laughs> he's not a player that is bottom six. He's got top four potential. Yeah. And if you want him to play top four style, top four minutes, well, he's got to get that icing. He's got to get into the lineup in that spot right now with Goligoski, Brodeen, Dumba and Spurgeon, he's not going to get that right now. And again, I just don't think for him as the player that he currently is, and more so for the player that we know he could be, um, as his ceiling is, I think, much higher, I, I put him in an, a bottom two role and only getting 10, 11 minutes a night. I don't think that's really good for his development, honestly. Uh, but again, you know, training camp, it's a battle. He may go in and he may steal a job somewhere or even more so. Guess what? I can guarantee you this. Injuries happen, right? So maybe Galagoski goes down. Maybe Dumba goes down for an extended period of time. Maybe there's an opportunity there. But you got to wonder on paper, Noah, does Kalen Addison, unless he wins a job at a training camp, uh, to me, I think it's written kind of in between lines that he's probably going to spend the majority of his time uh, down in Iowa for the season as we start. Well, let me see. Did you leave any of my talking points for me? Let's see. One, two, three. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, <laughs> but, but I mean, I mean, very, very fair. I, it, yeah. And we talked about this pre-show quite a bit too. I, the one thing I think when you look at, um, not Kalen Addison, um, why can't I think of his name? We just Jordy signed ben. him yesterday. Yeah. Thank you. Jordy Ben. Um, I wish it was Jamie Ben, but it's fine. Um, Jordy Ben it is. Jordy Ben honestly reminds me of the poor man's Dmitry Kulikov. And Dmitry Kulikov is a poor man in general as it is. But I mean, he is a guy who plays the same way. Those hard, heavy physical minutes. You said it exactly. And we talked about it in the pre-show. Uh, a guy like Kalen Addison, especially at 21 years old, who is trying to get used to playing with uh, men and big guys on top of that. Um, you know, he's not a guy who fits the mold of a Jordy Ben 51 block shots in 39 games, a guy who's going to play hard, heavy physical minutes. Another good comparison to that uh, is Ian Cole. Ian Cole's a little bit more skilled than those guys, but again, the same play style too. And people say why you pay two and a half million dollars for a guy like Ian Cole, because Ian Cole is a guy that you can slot anywhere in your bottom three uh, in your lineup. And he's going to play that way. And you know exactly what you're going to get out of him. Uh, when, when you look at the Jordy Ben signing, I, if anything, I think it's a stopgap for injuries or things like that. Or, you know, if John Merrill doesn't play well, Dmitry Kulikov maybe doesn't adjust. I think if you end up seeing Kalen Addison in a Minnesota Wild sweater, there's two things that are going to happen. One, it's going to be an injury at some point, unless he has an unreal camp, which not saying he won't. And it's going to be an injury that's potentially going to be in the top four. Going to be something where, you know, or if somewhere, if Alex Goligoski somehow just doesn't make an adjustment with Minnesota, that maybe you give Addison a couple of looks and let Goligoski play some, uh, you know, bottom pairing minutes to maybe refine his game a little bit as well, too. Um, when you talk about the development process, though, uh, and 
you're exactly right. You need to give guys ice time. Defensemen generally take a little bit longer to kind of marinate, if you will. He's only, tw- he's only 21 years old. Most defensemen don't really hit that peak till 24, 25 years old before they really make that jump into the National Hockey League. And the worst thing you can do, we're going to talk about it about, about a specific player right now in our extra ice session. The worst thing you can do is rush a guy in his development and push him into a situation which maybe he's not going to be successful or maybe you know not going to become the player he was uh, if you would have continued to develop and gain some more confidence in that level, you think about the AHL. I know a lot of people don't follow the AHL, but it's a jungle down there. Finding your way uh, to be able to play in the AHL um, is a really good feeder ground for the NHL. And for, for good reason, because there isn't the structure and the, uh, I don't know, calmness, if you will, that there is in the national hockey league. Just the difference between the AHL is there's a real disparity between your top six and your bottom six, your top four and your bottom two on the defensive side as well, too. So that's where, you know, if you have some time with the puck, if you're a power play specialist down there, that year of development, all things considered, isn't going to mean that much for him in a wild sweater, but it could mean a ton in terms of his development. So Kalen Addison does factor into this a little bit, but simply because I think Addison's place was somewhat already written in stone provided he has a great training camp or barring injury as it was the other the other comment that i've heard quite a bit too one why do we need a guy like jordy ben exactly that injury and death number two if anyone i swear to god if anyone brings up brendan mental again (laughs) about the fact that we signed jordy ben to a nine hundred thousand dollar deal i will have none of it Okay, because one, Jordy Ben didn't complain about his contract. Number two, Jordy Ben knew what his role was. Number three, the only reason Jordy Ben got a one-way deal is because of his age. Okay, the, we got to get off the Brendan Mental train. Okay, he doesn't play for the Minnesota Wild anymore. He declared he didn't want to play for the Minnesota Wild when his asking price did not match someone with five games played in the National Hockey League. Please stop bringing him up anytime we sign someone, especially a defenseman. This and- signing is such a low-risk, high-reward thing for Minnesota. I shouldn't say high reward. It's not like Jordy Ben's going to go out and put, put up 25 points, but similar to the Alex Goligoski situation, explain the risk to me on a one year deal in a team that's about to enter cap hell. Explain the risk to me on a one year deal, please. I enlighten me, enlighten me, you know? Right. Um, on the Manel thing too, let's not forget that when he went over to the KHL, that that ruffled a lot of Minnesota wild upper office feathers too, when he did that. Yeah. Um, oh, there was- oh, and I, and I did want to, sorry, I just cut you off there, but again, going back to a guest that we had a couple of weeks ago, a lot of people have made the point that Manel had a great season in the KHL had a great, I think he won like defenseman of the year or something like that yeah. um, in the AHL. What did Nick Dowd say to us a couple of weeks ago when he came on, had all these great college hockey accolades, Nick, do they mean anything at the NHL level? No, because you got to reprove it at that level too. Yeah, that's the thing, right? It's- and, pe- and people will say, "Well, he didn't get a chance to prove it because he didn't sign a contract." Well, he asked for a contract that wasn't befitting of a player of his status. Sorry, the end. And you know, it, it's funny because you know, again, the big controversy was one, you know, one way versus two way. Ends up signing in Toronto, and it was a two way deal. So, and again, you know, <laughs> I, well, and here's the thing too, you know, and, and as a player, right, you know, there's there's something to be said that there's a player that's got confidence in this game, right? Now, whether yeah. that confidence is accurate or if it's overzealous, is you know, we can debate that, right? Because as you know, a, a, any player that's looking to get to the National Hockey League, they're just looking for ice time, right? However, they can get it on some nights, right? And yeah. with Brennan Minnell um, going over the KHL, granted, that style of hockey over there is much more conducive to offense than it is to defense. 
So let's put that caveat there too. Uh, in Toronto, I'm going to pick on Toronto, but they haven't been known as the, the most defensively structured team of the last five or 20 years. I'm not sure which one it is, but uh, you know, at, at the end of it, you know, I respect a player who's really trying to get to the NHL. I really do. I mean, that's uh, yeah. so I understand, but however, when, when you come over and you're, you're just, you're making these, you know, again, unrealistic contract demands for yeah. uh, obviously a front office. I did see it clearly, you know, here at the end of it, he moved on the wild moved on and now, now we've all got to move on a perfect example for Brennan, <laughs> for Brennan Manel right now, Nico Stern, great example, guy who was unsigned coming out of college, worked his nuts off. And here he is now making $2.1 million a year or whatever it is with this new contract. I mean, that's, that's exactly how you have to do it at the NHL level. You talked about playing with confidence. Most of those players have been the top guy in their respective tier and have earned their way to the top. And usually they're You have to be a confident hockey player to be able to play in those upper levels but you also have to understand your role and understand what is given versus what is earned people go back and say oh Kirill Kaprizov only 55 games played why is he getting these massive contract offers because the Minnesota Wild have seen the product in the ice in the NHL level and project what he can be um, relative to the player he is now you don't get that opportunity if you screw yourself over in contract negotiations before the ball even gets rolling so well not only that too when you talk about Kaprizov you know we could talk about scouts and everything else, but there's a consensus around what Kaprizov brings to the table. Yeah. Um, I don't think it takes a trained scout to know what, you know, what the Minnesota wild are when he's on the ice. It's no different than Connor McDavid, you know? Um, and in fact, I'll make this comparison. Everybody knows when they get Connor McDavid, no one's going to tell you that he's not the number one or not number two player in the world right now. He just is that good. There's no, there's no discrepancy there. However, when you get past the team's top three, maybe even top six in their forward group, uh, now you're going to have scouts that have got different opinions on people. So that's why I play like maybe it was to say Nick Dowd. And again, this is not an exact reflection of Nick Dowd, right? Uh, But one scout might say, hey, you know, in college, he had great scoring ability. He's got a great shot. He's deceptive with the puck. Uh, but that team's head coach is like, well, that's, I haven't seen that. I see the guy that's gritty that can play really well in the penalty, penalty kill. I can match him up with this, you know, with, uh, my opposing, uh, you know, team's top, uh, offensive guys as he can yeah. shut them down. Uh, so that's great and all, but I haven't seen that here. Right. So, and that's yeah. the difference in the NHL too, uh, between the AHL, just a, a quick sub point there too, yeah. Noah, which is, you know, you talk about the discrepancy in talents, but also it, it's what discrepancy in mistakes too. in the NHL, one mistake, you pretty much pay for every single mistake in the National Hockey League, whereas the American Hockey League uh, and sub-leagues below that, uh, maybe there's some things you can kind of get away with. So, again, that's the difference between these leagues, and that's why, you know, people imagine that, you know, the difference between the AHL and the NHL are pretty close in reality. They're much further apart than what you think. Yeah, and you, and Nick Dowd actually said it himself. You also talk about having to adjust and find out where you can stick as well. Nick Dowd, all those things that scout number one mentioned might very well be applicable to Nick Dowd, especially at you know the college level, the AHL level. But he's not beating out Nick Backstrom. He's not beating out Kuznetsov. He, he's got a challenge with Lars Eller there, so he's got to change the way he plays the game. And part of that is understanding. I mean, Nick Dowd. Great example going into a contract here, right? Has to have another big year for him to, you know, take that next step, hopefully in a capital sweater or stay in the national hockey. That's not a reflection on who he is as a person or a player. That's just the business. And Brendan Manel didn't even allow himself to get his foot in the door because he hampered himself with contract negotiations. So I'm, I'm over it. I'm over hearing about Brendan Manel. So please don't bring him up. I like the Jordy Ben signing. If anything, it's a stopgap um, for the Minnesota Wild, a decent depth signing. Um, and hopefully the Wild uh, find a way to grow. And if Kalen Addison is in a Minnesota Wild sweater, that means good things are coming on the back end for the Minnesota Wild defensive pipeline as well, too. So, um, yeah, 
we just need to get number 97 signed. Um, that's <laughs> that's the bottom line. Mr. Maxson, do we have anything else to add here before we move on to our extra ice session? I don't think so. Uh, but this extra ice, though, is going to be pretty darn fun. I can't wait for this discussion. So please, if you are listening, you're watching, please stick around. I think you're really going to enjoy this segment. So if it doesn't go well and it's an absolute dumpster fire, can we say that that you lied? Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> All right. We're going to head on over to the potential dumpster fire, potential gold mine. We're going to find out here. Extra ice session here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. And welcome into our extra ice session here, pushing 50 minutes here on the show. And we are happy to have you for all 50 of them and then some. That's why it's called the extra ice session. And I'm Noah Grant, joining us by my co-host and Nick Max. And Nick, we're talking some offer sheets today. And I think there's something that happened uh, just mere hours ago here on this Saturday that prompted this. I don't know. It, some rumblings about oh. some some team that offer sheeted oh. some team that maybe they've offer sheeted them before. Do, can you fill the listeners in on uh, what oh, the heck boy. is going on in the NHL landscape? I will say this before I get into it. The NHL needs more of this drama. It's petty, and I'm all here for it. This is freaking fun. Okay, so for those who don't know, um, so an offer sheet for those who don't know and haven't followed hockey, right? When you're a restricted free That's agent, me. right? Exactly. Um, <laughs> you, your team has got first rights to sign you, but also depending on your restricted free agent status, other teams can offer you a contract. The player may sign that contract, but the team has then seven days to match that contract. So you retain uh, your property essentially. Now, and, if the team. And, and can you name one player in the National Hockey League that is a restricted free agent who doesn't fit that bill? That cannot be Kiroka offered. Kirokaprizov. Yeah. Kirokaprizov cannot. Anyway. He's a 10.2 uh, C. C. Yep. So he cannot be offer sheeted. But if you're an RFA and that's just it, you can be offer sheeted. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's rewind the, the clocks back. Was it two years ago, I think? Yeah, two years ago. And Mark Bergevin, the GM of the Montreal Canadiens, who honestly, sometimes I look at his hair, no one, I wonder, did he just stick his finger in a light socket? Like, what the hell is going on with this guy? I um, mean, sometimes the decision he makes, I really think he, like, shocks himself alive sometimes. Uh, but he decided to throw an offer sheet towards Sebastian Ajo of the uh, Carolina Hurricanes. Now, if it's in the rule book, right, Noah, why is this, why are we even talking about this? So, and I explained this to you a little bit before pre-show, right? Whereas offer sheets, they have been around for a while. The ability to do the offer sheet is not new, but there's been, and when I've talked to GMs in the past and, and, you know, when you, you kind of understand that the offer sheet, it's, it, there's kind of a gentleman, gentleman agreement that you don't do it because uh, you don't want to sell relationships. And to be fair, they're right. Because if you're a GM, yeah, you need to sign players, but let's just say, I'm having a great season. I want to trade for that player because I want his depth, but you offer sheeted a player down there. Now that um, open line of communication with that team is now gone, right? Well, now you're hampering yourself to do other business with other teams, right? Um, so it's kind of seen as, uh, you know, a kind of a goofy move, if you want to call it, without using a different word. Um, so it really hasn't been executed. Well, Mark Bergevin kind of started that trend a couple of years ago. Um, uh, Carolina matched that deal for Sebastian Ajo. Um, and now Tom Dundon of the Carolina Hurricanes, their, uh, their GM, has decided to fire back and, oh, my God, this is glorious. So the Carolina Hurricanes have offered a sheet to Yasperi Kotkakiemi, and that player has signed that deal. It's a one-year $6.1 million deal. Here's a fun little fact. The signing bonus is $20. For those of you who don't know, Sebastian Ajo was number 20 on the Carolina Hurricanes. So, okay, a little bit of trolling there. And then on top of that, the Carolina <laughs> Hurricanes first released this in French on Twitter um, to the 
press release was essentially a dead copy of what Mark Bergevin <laughs> said when he did um, send the offer sheet down to Sebastian Ajo. So, oh my goodness. Uh, you know, Noah, sometimes, you know, in hockey and other sports, you want to get back at someone right away, but sometimes your head goes in, I'm going to pick my spot where it's going to really hurt them the most. It kind of feels like Tom Dunn is picking a spot here, and it is absolutely glorious. Uh, so that's where we're at. So, again, the when the Hurricanes announced it, that means the player has signed it. So now, from today, the Montreal Canadiens have seven days to match it. If they don't match it or they choose not to for whatever reason – Carolina would acquire Kasperi, uh, excuse me, not Kasperi, Yasperi, Kaka Kinyami. And because of the contract size, right, uh, if the team does lose a player, they are compensated with draft picks. Because of 6.1 million, Carolina would lose a first round pick and a third round pick. And that would go to Montreal. And they would believe they would be next year's draft picks, if I recall correctly. Um, So that's where we're at. Um, it seems like this whole kind of gentleman's thing, and this is why I say this is a gentleman conduct, this would tell you that teams don't like it when you do this because everything about what's happened today, as glorious and as fun and, and drama as it's been, it's pretty telling as to what Carolina thought about it, and now they decided to fire their cannon two years later. Yeah, speaking of firing the cannon, I wasn't ignoring you. I was doing some quick research on my phone um, like a pretend journalist does. I, first of all, I let's talk about Obviously, average salary plays a role in this, right? You mentioned compensation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the lowest average salary in 2005, uh, um, right now, the average salary right now is about just under $1.5 million. You know what the average salary in 2005 was? It's actually higher, if I recall, wasn't uh, it? No, 660000 was the average salary. Average. Yeah, average salary yeah. for players. Um, and I bring that up because that that changes the tiers as well, too. But- Let's do some offer sheet history here, Mr. Maxson. When yes. was the first offer sheet actually completed in the National Hockey League? What year? Ooh, I don't know. Take I a have stab. no idea. Take a stab. 95? 1986. Gary Newland, Toronto Maple Leafs. You weren't even alive then. Mr. Maxson wasn't even alive. Depends on the month. <laughs> what, what month in 86? Oh, heck if I know. All right. <laughs> How about this one? Uh he actually, this man actually played um, at my college that I played at. Who, what is the last successful offer sheet that has been done? Ooh, it's been a while. At least as far as I know, I could be wrong. I could totally be wrong, but this is the last one that I have. It has listened. been a while though. Oh geez. I couldn't even tell you, honestly. I believe it's 2007. Dustin Penner. That makes sense. Uh, Edmonton Oilers. Yeah. yeah. Um, the last big one before Ajo, I believe, was Shea Weber with the Philadelphia Flyers. That was the last big one that kind of made the news. But I that gentlemanly agreement, I, I don't know. Does that change in, in, in the upcoming years? I mean, really, d- does it start to become a factor? And the reason I ask, does it start to become a factor, is uh, you look at a team, uh, for example, the Minnesota Wild might be a right team for this, Okay. Let's say you sign Kirill Kaprizov for five years or something like that, right? You sign Kevin Fiala after this upcoming season for four years. In a couple of years, Matt Boldy gets a contract. In a couple of years, uh, Marco Rossi gets a contract. Let's say they all develop. Kalen Anderson gets a contract too, right? With that dead cap, at some point when we're naming all these players, somebody's got to go for the Minnesota. You're going to lose Alex Goligoski, but somebody's got to go. When you talk about a flat cap that might extend five, six, seven years down the line until that escrow is paid off, we might start to see some more of these offer sheets because teams simply are cap strapped and can't match 
these offers. And I think, like you had mentioned, the, the reason that we don't see these offer sheets is because you want to maintain that good relationship with as many general managers as you possibly can uh, and keep the door open for a lot of these negotiations. Because even if you say, oh, I, I would never make a deal with Chuck Fletcher in Philadelphia now, in two years' time, Philadelphia could be right for a player that Minnesota needs or wants or is asking for or that sort of thing. So I think that's why you don't see it. But we might enter this era where we might start to see teams take this chance, specifically teams like maybe Arizona, teams like the Seattle Kraken, groups that aren't up to that cap ceiling and really can kind of prey on a, a Tampa Bay Lightning or a Montreal Canadiens or that sort of thing. Um, I, and I, I think it's a crafty move because, again, when you go back to the one-year 6.1 million dollar price tag, if anything, you handcuff the Montreal Canadiens into paying more than what they want to pay for the player. Um, but it's just a very savvy move. I, I... So, and, and that's the second part of this, right? Is that there's, there's some chess here that's being done by the Carolina Hurricanes. Now, mind you, when Montreal offers change to Bastion Ajo, um, if I recall correctly, a couple of years ago, um, some of the contract negotiations had Ajo over seven and a half, maybe even $8 million a year. And I think they signed him for what, six and a half or seven. Yeah. Um, Sebastian Ajo, uh, you might have to, do some checking on that. But um, at the end of it, they actually got a deal out of it. They were like, yeah, we'll match. So that was less than probably what we thought we were going to get, right? But as you mentioned, yeah, Spirit Kake can you know, mind you, this isn't a knock on the player's ability, right? But there's, there's a player, what he brings, and there's the value assessed to that player, right? It means nothing that the player isn't good. He's in the National Hockey yeah. League, so he's good, right? By the way, 6.95 million AAV. 6.95. Okay. I yeah. thought it was under seven. So perfect. So, yeah. but here's what's interesting. Uh, Carolina has fired back and they've been better at this, right? So mind you, yeah, Spirit Cock can be $6.1 million a year. No question that is over his market value. That's absolutely true. Yeah. Now, and, and he's, he's signed it already from what I've read, right? Correct. Yeah. When you announce yeah. it, that means he has signed it. Yeah. You cannot make that announcement unless he has agreed so, to those terms. So, and I, and I, and I know you're getting to this point, but does Montreal match that offer? Here's what's interesting. So, cause you could, you could argue both teams could be strapped for this because number one, Carolina is over the cap right now. They're over by two point, I think 2.5 million. So you add in uh Kakagami's contract. Now you're 8.3 over the cap or 8.6. Um, I know Cat Friendly had a, a tweet earlier about if indeed uh, Montreal either just says no or doesn't, you know, doesn't match it. Um, but that's that's the issue, right? So that right. means Carolina would have to do some cap moving of their own, right? So that's one thing. So Montreal could look at it this way. But let's flip it back to the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah. So, so let's say so here I did find the tweet for you. Uh, uh, the Canes currently have $4.57 million in projected cap space based on their roster of 22 players. That would tend to put them about $1.52 million over the cap if Montreal does not match. So okay. Yeah. Yeah. So at that point. So, you know, it straps them a little bit, but let's just say that Montreal does indeed match it. They want to keep their player. And I suppose I should have made this point earlier too, Noah, is that you don't see these offer sheets going to journeyman players. These are to young players that teams want to hang on to. And that's kind of why there's been this sort of gentleman agreement because this, this rubs people the wrong way. It's like, you're going after my star young forward or a younger forward that maybe got in the second round that's showing really real promise and real development. And that's where these offer sheets are sort of like part of the French. It's a, it's a middle finger to a lot of, you know, to a lot of GMs. That's kind of how it's 
received along around that. So that's why we don't see these very often. But let's say Montreal does indeed match this, right? So they have $6.1 million that they have to pay that same player this year. He's still a restricted free agent because of his time served next year. And guess what? When you have a restricted free agent, your minimum salary offer is now $6.1 million. So it's not just this season, no, but it cascades into seasons after that. So this is, it's a chess move because again, now, as we mentioned before, a lot of teams, in fact, nearly half of the NHL is very much, you know, within like two or $3 million of the, of the cap ceiling, right? There's just not a lot of wiggle room there. Um, and that's, Barring teams don't have any dead cap to begin with, right? Yeah. So, um, and the other piece of this, thank you for cap friendly for doing this because I just pulled up the Canadians page as well too. They are currently right now they're two point two seven six million over the cap, and should they sign him, they're at eight point three seven six million dollars over the cap. Should they match? However, here's where yeah. cap friendly isn't telling you one thing, and that is that does not include Shea Weber's contract or I think another contract that would go on long term injured, re- injured reserve. Yeah. So right, effectively, right now they would they're be at, okay. Yeah. Right now they're at 2.5 um, LTIR, if I'm not mistaken. It's projected Correct. right now at 2.276. So, right. So that there would be some relief there with Shea Weber. Um, if projected, he would be on LTIR for this season. And granted, you know, side move hope he actually plays hockey again that's another sad story but um, yeah. there's a little flexibility there but it's, again it's interesting though the, their website has shea weber and paul byron both in there but it doesn't do. make okay. but, but it doesn't make sense to me why it would be 2.276 because shea weber makes 7.8 million dollars a year and paul byron makes 3.4 i don't i don't think they're factoring those contracts and yet i think it's something different yeah. um but either way right so this is a chess move and no question this is this is, you know, the shots return, right? There were shots fired by Mark Bergevin. This is Tom Dolan going, yeah, I was waiting for the right time to do this. And here we go. Right. So um, it's been great. Again, you got to give Carolina's communications team a lot of uh, props uh, for doing it in French and for, uh, you're really just, you know, kind of just owning what they're doing. Uh, But yeah, no, from a lot of the hockey Brits, this is a middle finger right back to Mark Bergevin. That's exactly what this is. Um, and we'll have to see what uh, Mark Bergerman does here. Again, the ball is 100% in his court. Again, the deal is already done. Casperi Kaga, uh, I keep saying Casperi like Casperi Kapanen. I'm not sure why. Casperi yeah. Kakaniemi has a deal that's signed, which means in seven days, if Montreal doesn't match it, he's going to Carolina. Yeah. And I got to say, lo- looking at this potential lineup, Sebastian Aho, a- Kotka Niemi, uh, Jordan Stahl, Vinny Trocek, and Jordan Martinuk are five guys that could play center in that lineup. And Martinuk can play pretty much any position as well, too, as a couple of those other guys. This is a Carolina group that um, I know they really screwed up the Nade- the Nadelkovich. We got some wild names this, <laughs> this <we> offseason, <laughs> don't we? Um, but I know they messed that up, but they are kind of making amends minus the Tony D'Angelo stuff. That's fair. Um, but <laughs> we're not going to get into that. Um, I, I don't know. I, 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 I kind of have a hard time in some respects believing that if Montreal believes that Paul Byron and Shea Weber come back after this season, that they maybe don't just take the compensation for this. Now, if they right. believe that Shea Weber is on his way out the door, they'd be fools not to re-sign him because it is a one-year deal. Although, if they sign him to a one-year deal, and like you said, 
he doesn't project to be the player who is a third overall pick that he hasn't so far. He's a good hockey player, but not a third overall pick the way that he's played so far, kind of rushed a little bit in development so far. Like you mentioned, the minimum offer that has to be made is $6.1 million and Montreal's thinking to look to the future. It's a very, very savvy move by Carolina. And I, and it's funny because this still isn't the most difficult and confusing situation that Mark Bergevin will have made this summer, but it, it's, it's inching up there. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting too, when you, when you look at, you know, again, you talk about the roster and Montreal, you know, they're, they're kind of a tweener team, aren't they? They've got, you know, some players that are definitely on, you know, over the hump. You want to call it, they've got some really good young players called Caulfield. Uh, again, Ryan Paling, a former St. Cloud guy, got yeah. his two year extension. Yeah. How, how about his contract too, by the way, one, yeah. year, one way deal in year two, maybe in year two is going to factor into that long-term plan potentially. So, and it, it sounds like, and I think before he had his wrist, wrist injury, there was a lot of talk that they would call him up and he would have been playing for them in the playoffs, you know, had he been healthy because he was leading, I think, he still did. I think he was leading them in scoring. So, I mean, Ryan Paling, I think yeah. his, his progression has been good. And I do think he's actually going to make this yeah. roster uh, coming out of camp here for Montreal. I just think that with some of the losses they experienced in Montreal, I think that opens the door for Ryan Paling. That's yeah. a separate issue. I, but I, I hear that Cole Caulfield was a great stopgap though. Right, they did. Exactly. They did make a, isn't it kind of weird that they made a cup final? It still kind of blows my mind that that happened. But I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, that, that was fun. You know, I, yeah. you know, it's it's kind of fun to see that Cinderella story. We saw that with LA in 2012, right? Mm-hmm. The essentially like the eighth place team in the West, and they really caught fire towards the end of the year, and they steamrolled people. Like they, it was like what nobody could stop this team. Yeah. So, and for Mark Bergevin too, who, and this is where St. Cloud in Montreal even with this logo, they've got a similar taste in their mouth right now. They got to the final step, right? But they fell just short, right? So you got to know Mark Bergeron is, is probably biting his tongue a little bit. He's probably, you know, fidgety. It's like, what, what do I do here, right? Because, again, you're losing – the loss of Shea Weber – is going to be really tough to replace in the back end. Um, losing, um, I, I'm trying to Paul think Byron. of their, Paul Byron. Uh, yeah. That was huge uh, down the middle. I, I, I can't believe that they uh, let that happen. But anyway, um, at the end of it, you know, you want to get right back there, right? Oh, but it's, oh you weren't talking injury. Sorry, you were talking uh, trades. Paul Byron's hurt. Sorry. Paul Byron's hurt. I was thinking, was it, yeah. no, you all or Mia was, I think, the one I was talking yeah. about, right? Because yeah. he went to. Uh, good penalty killer, good two-way player. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, it's. It's interesting. And, and again, you talk about the chess move and, you know, savvy move. This does put Persia in a little bit of a goofy situation, right? Now, granted, I think cap situation wise, I'm not sure if it hurts Montreal. Yes or no. I think because now you really reinvigorated that fan base who, uh, to say, I think not even a year ago, I think Mark Bergevin was on a very big hot seat up there as far as, you know, his tenure as general manager. And now that it got into a cup final, now we can debate, whether they truly earned it, I you have to, right? So, uh, or maybe they get a stroke of luck. Um, at the end of it, you got there, right? But now your job is to get them back there, right? And uh, I think Kaka uh, Miami would be better off on the Montreal roster if you can keep them. Uh, but now you have to agree to a dollar amount. At, at this point, there's no turning back. And to your point, Noah, uh, you know, for seasons moving forward, that, that offer, at the end of it, you can absorb the one-year cap because we talk about low-risk skills with the Wild, with Goligoski, you know, one year at $5 million. At the end of it, who said you can't trade them too, right? Let's say you match yeah. the offer sheet, and let's say Montreal just with the loss of Shea Weber and some of the different changes. Let's say this roster just tanks, right? Who's to say you can't trade them? 
at least when you have the, the player is the asset that holds the value, right? So because it, the, the compensation package, the first and third coming from Carolina, they're going to be a good team this year. That's all. That could be a very yeah. low first round I, pick. I, I mean, I think the, the piece that's challenging though, is if he doesn't have the season that you want, again, he has to be, he has to be given that amount, you know, which is, you know, at the it, end of it, 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 it's a package that, and I was just looking at this, I was pulling up uh, again. Thank you to cat friendly. They do a fantastic job. Montreal has the sixth worth caps, worst cap situation um, in the NHL. They're one of nine teams right now that um, are actually over the cap ceiling right now. Um, and their roster size is a little bit big too. And I was thinking, I was like, I was like, which team is actually the team here that beyond this year can afford to, uh, make room for this contract, if you will. If you look at Montreal's situation, of course, you got the Shea Weber piece and the Paul Byron piece right now. Paul Byron will be back. Shea Weber's a question mark. Uh, Matthew Perot and Cedric Paquette are the only two plus uh, Arturi Lekin in at 2.3 million. He's an RFA right now. And then, of course, uh, Nick Suzuki, Jake Evans, a couple of guys like that. Ben Sherratt at 3.5 million and Brett Kulak uh, at 1.85 million plus a couple of uh, Chris Weidman still on that list too as well. Um, so I'm thinking about like where where do they put him in after that versus uh, if you're Carolina right now, you got a couple of guys that you got to make some decisions on. Nino Niederreiter at 5.25. He's going to be 29 after this season. Benny Trocek, same age. 4.75. Um, Derek Steppen's uh, kind of chum change as well, too. Uh, and then you got Ian Cole, who's on that list, as long as Ethan Bear um, is also a guy uh, that might be on that list in that RFA status for Carolina. So I'm thinking about which team. Uh, uh, and again, if, if Kotkaniemi, if he's a player that lives up to his potential or finds a way to kind of reinvigorate his game, uh, 6.1 million is still an overpay, but it won't look as egregious as it does right now. The question no. mark. The question mark is if he doesn't, uh, and even if he does, which team is this going to handcuff less? Which team does it make more sense for? Carolina's already put their hand in the pot, obviously. Yeah. But, you know, does... In, I in think a sense, it handcuffs a, Montreal more, honestly. Right, right. But that's my question is, in a sense, can Montreal, knowing they know the product that they had with Yesperi, they knew what they had with him, do they take the compensation knowing that maybe... Carolina's own move backfires on them and handcuffs them in a similar situation where they're either forced to create a package to offload a player, or they have to re-sign a guy at a price tag that maybe he doesn't live up to. Well, there's, there's two things you're forgetting. Um, and yes, that is my job to remind you of some other factors. <laughs> so uh, no, I, I disagree with that. Sentiment because Carolina's roster is, is built much deeper than Montreal's right now. And especially down the middle. I mean, again, Montreal lost some big pieces, uh, both front and back and cock and the I think he looked actually really good for Montreal at the end of last year. Um, he had been up and down the lineup. He really found his own. Um, and I thought he played actually a really good playoff year with the Canadians um, there uh, in the center position, but Carolina's got more depth on that roster. That team is as stacked to try to win a Stanley cup um, by adding in cock and Miami at a one-year deal. Here's what you forget, right? So as a restricted free agent, two things happen, right? Either you, you get offered a contract by the team, you get offer sheeted or you don't get anything. You go to unrestricted free agency and you can still technically sign with that same team, but it'd be a much lesser value, right? So yeah. people forget that, you know, there's that other side of the equation too, right? Whereas you do have the ability as a team to wait it out. So um, to me, I do think this hurts Montreal because again, they, as you mentioned, they know the player. Don't tell me, I mean, Caroline knows what they're getting. They wouldn't sign an offer sheet. They didn't want or know the player, right? Yeah. But more so it's, it's Montreal that's, you know, have this, uh, had success with, 
with Kakenyami. And, and again, what's the pieces they've lost this season. If they lose this part of their roster, again, down depth down the middle is so important in the NHL. I think that's more hurtful because, again, you know the player you're getting. Again, that first and third round pick you get from Carolina. If Carolina finishes up there, that's low first, low third round. You're not getting a game-breaking player at that regards. As we talked about on the show before, Noah, draft picks and anything that's there is unproven no matter what, right? So at least yeah. with Kakinemi, you know what you're getting. With these picks, it is rolling the dice. It is rolling the dice no matter how you how you slice it. So if I'm Mark Bergevin, I'm probably trying to match it. Despite the fact that it's an overpayment, I think you want to keep that center depth. And again, you have options. If it doesn't pan out, again, the numbers aren't maybe going to look as good um, if he has the season that doesn't match the But maybe he'll shock us. Maybe Kakanyemi, because of some different losses of Yolan, maybe it's elevated. And like he just blows everybody in the water. That can happen too, right? So Yeah, had a 34-point campaign in his first year. Only had 20 points in the regular season last year. But like you mentioned, uh, eight points from the playoffs. Still was minus five, though, uh, down the middle in that playoff depth, which uh, we can talk about plus minus another day. But uh, yeah, I mean. Defensively, that's that's been what the scouts have said. He It's his biggest area of opportunity um, is him on the defensive yeah. end. Uh, but again, I just can't imagine if you're Mark Bergeron going down two centers. And granted, he's not a perfect center by any means. Find me a center that is perfect besides Connor McDavid, maybe Sidney Crosby. Um, but at the end of it, you know, you know that player and he was part of your run. And to have this come in and offer to you and really puts a decision on your head, because excuse me, yeah, he's going to be overpaid, but it's a low risk overpayment in my opinion, because you're still going to hold rights to a player. And that means if you have to exercise other options, you know, come this way next year, at least you still have control of that player and not somebody else. Perfect center. Will Hammer has entered the chat. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, it's it's going to be a fun ride to watch. I think the nice thing about doing a podcast is we get to talk about it. We, we don't have to decide about it. So uh, that's yeah even more it's, exciting. Um, and like you said, teams, uh, you know, after this year with him, whoever signs him can play the waiting game. Uh, just don't do the Minnesota wild waiting game. Uh, that one's kind of painful, <laughs> um, but nonetheless, uh, it's going to be a fun ride the next two and a half weeks until we um, get closer to training camp here. And don't forget, we got some Huskies hockey right around the corner in about five weeks or so. So um, uh, I don't know, Nick, what a time to be alive here uh, in the hockey world. Wouldn't you say it's amazing, especially after we've, for the last two seasons, right, uh, the end of 2020, <laughs> 2021, being a shortened season, this offseason has been very, very short. And again, training camp is two, two and a half weeks away. I think if I recall correctly, you no, know, I think players are supposed to report to the offices on the 10th, but training camp opens the 16th. I could be wrong on those, but it, it's essentially two weeks away. So, and again, Minnesota Wild have some business of their own to take care of. Uh, now Montreal has got some business to take care of. And I'm going to be very curious, and if it hasn't happened already, what the response is going to be from Mark Berger and the Montreal Canadiens with the signing. Uh, so th this is it's going to be a fun uh, fun story to watch and develop because, uh, yeah, I mean, again, there's two outcomes. Either they match it or they don't. Yeah, let's see. I, I've got some key dates here. Um, it's uh, September 18th to 21st is that NHL Prospect Showcase in Tampa. Um, mm -hmm. training camp begins mid to late September and the 28th is the preseason first start, so. first start of the preseason, you One know, month I, from today. Yeah. You know, I was gonna, um, look at you in the math skills. I, uh, I know, right. Speaking of math, uh, before we close out the show here, you, you brought up a point that I was thinking about when, you know, we started this podcast in February at the tail end of the 2019 20 season. Is that correct? correct yeah. Yes. Um, and 
would you ever in your wildest dreams have imagined when we started that little podcast? I remember the day when we came in and we did the show and it was like, it was like 90 minutes or something like that. And we just rambled. We just talked for 90 minutes in the studio. Didn't know what it was going to be that we would go through a pandemic. We would go through two shortened seasons. We would have this superstar Kaprizov come in and do this. Well, the contract negotiations, a flat cap, like, these guys end up in the national championship game. Yeah. I mean, my goodness. I mean, it's, it's been a fun ride, right? I mean, that's, that's uh, the thing about pro sports. It, it's got its ups, it's got its downs. And, you know, it just, you have to be, you have to be willing to ride both sides. Right. And you have to understand that, you know, there's going to be some things that are very fun. Like these guys are going to be fun again this year. And then there's yeah. also side of, you know, things that aren't so fun, but you know, that's part of, what makes you, you know, each extreme, you could say each side of that, you know, unique in its own way. Right. You know, I think the thing that, um, that I would throw out and, and posit to fans, because I know Hussey's nation gets a little into it and it's good. It's good to be a super fan. I am Minnesota wild fans too. I would say in my limited experience, you know, over 20 years in the game, you know, and especially as a player too, I take a deep breath when you're watching the game on the couch, take a deep breath, enjoy the ride, enjoy the opportunity, you know, because, if you go in and you expect to sweep CC and you lose four to one on Friday night, it doesn't mean that the world is falling down. It doesn't mean that St. Cloud should disband their hockey program. Just take a deep breath and just enjoy the ride and enjoy the ups and downs of a hockey season. And a team that last year showed us, it doesn't take an offensive juggernaut to make it to uh, the pious game, no. in, you know, in the season. So no. Uh, and speaking of CC, their new arena yeah. um, looks really, really nice uh, yeah. for, for those uh, in it from, I guess, you know, a world Broadmoor, which was their, um, their previous arena. That was from what I understand, very much off campus or this one's right on campus. It's a short walk away. Um, just like how most of the Huskies, uh, uh, players themselves can essentially walk to the arena and work out and skate anytime that they'd like, uh, in theory, depending on where they live near, near a campus. Yeah. Um, but with this, I mean, and you know, I know a lot of folks say it's, it's under 3,500 for the seating. So it's a smaller rank, uh, but it's an intimate rank. I know yeah, that um, it's perfect uh, for that school. I think yeah. it is. Um, and for those who haven't checked it out, it's on the CC website. Um, I know it from, I actually read an article, Noah, then this will close on this uh, yeah. new head coach, Chris Mayotte, uh, reading you know, his first tour of the building and it, it's funny. I shouldn't say it's funny. That's the wrong word, but it was, hilarious. It was actually, I know, right. Hilarious. Uh, <laughs> completely the wrong word I was going for. No, it's actually really cool. Cause they asked him, Hey, has the team seen this? And he goes, no. And they asked, well, okay, well, you know, what's the plan or are you just going to, everybody's going to come in on their own. He goes, no, what I want to do is as a group, I want to take us all in this group and I want us to experience it together as a team. Um, so, you know, and, and for those of you who don't know, Chris Miotic and replacing, uh, oh, geez, why can't I think? Mike Havlin. Thank you, Mike Havlin. Yeah. He only won a, a cup in 2010 in Chicago. But anyway, <laughs> um, Mike Havlin's, uh, you know, a former club. But, um, you know, this guy is already part of what the USA uh, you know, assistant coaches squad. I mean, this, I, I think, I think CC is going to, with a new arena, um, with this new younger coach who has certainly from what I've read has uh, earned his stripes per se. I think you're going to see yeah. CC rebound as a program the next couple of seasons. It's going to take maybe two or three years uh, for them to do it, but um, I, I think they're in sitting well. And I, I personally would love to go see that arena on CC because um, it it's an intimate building. Uh, again, not, not much of attendance per se, but it's brand new, beautiful jumbotron um, and glass. There's glass everywhere in that. And basically you go up an escalator, right? Kind of how you do with Mariucci uh, and you get to, it's an open concourse essentially. So you get to walk yeah. in from wherever you're standing 
you have a view of the ice arena. So that's pretty cool. So um, at the big, end of it, uh, big, big glass guy. Hey, I, you know, <laughs> no, I just, I, I totally get what you mean though. It's nice to, it's nice to have that modernized feel with also kind of retaining that intimacy of like, you think about like an arena, like the Vermont Catamounts and having a small, you know, arena that has that intimacy. I think there, there's a lot to be said for that. And here's the problem though, as we've seen with the NHL's uh, winter class extended stadium series, the sun's kind of the enemy of ice, whether there's glass there or not. So um, I was kind of looking to see if they had like, I know the Excel Energy even has that on the uh, west side of the building. They actually have drapes that they can close so it won't allow sunlight to hit the ice. Yep. It's just the radiation from the sun rays that can mess with the ice surface. And it's, uh, it, I haven't it's seen also, that. It's also kind of annoying as a player too, that when you're playing in the middle of the day, like if you have the sun that's coming directly, like especially through like later in the day, if it's coming through that west end at the Excel Energy Center, having that come through. You know, it can kind of be kind of distracting sometimes too, as well. Oh but yeah, yeah. You find it funny. I'm gonna say I find it interesting because that's our that's our cliche phrases there. You also brought up the 2010 uh, Chicago Blackhawks. If you wanted to check out our episode on that, we did an episode about their Chicago investigation. A little bit of a not so lighthearted thing, but a good little show no. a couple of weeks ago as well too. We we had so much happening in the hockey world. It just never seems to slow down. And of course, we're hitting fall. We're hitting spooky season, as the kids say. Uh, and it's exciting to uh, get the train rolling on. Hopefully, what's going to be a normal NHL and college hockey season. I think that's the thing that's most excited, exciting. Even if we do have to wear masks or, you know, if you have to get vaccinated, at least if we can find close to full capacity buildings and some normalcy in terms of schedules, I think that's going to be the most uh, exciting thing as well. Mr. Maxson, what do we have left to add here? That's really it. Um, again, you know, we're, we're on the home stretch here of the off season, you know, in a couple of days, it's going to be September, which I cannot believe yeah. honestly that it's, it's been September uh, or it's going to be September. Wake me up when September ends. Thank you, Green Day. Um, but at but at the end of it, seriously, uh, that means the hockey season is both for the pro, the minors, um, again, and college hockey. These guys, uh, they're coming around the corner. So um, I know they just had their open practice uh, just yesterday, I believe, yeah. up there at the MAC. Um, I believe they they planned a couple more of those. I'm not 100% sure. And again, we're still waiting on confirmation on the supposed red versus black scrimmage that should be taking place the weekend prior to the series against St. Thomas, getting them christened into division one hockey. By the way, as you said, it never ends. It never will. We're going to start wrapping things up here, Noah, as we continue to proceed, which is now not that far away at the end one month. We'll be pretty much there. Yeah. Open practices for sure. Go see your Huskies. If you can get into the Herbrooks national hockey center during the season, go to those games. Uh, I saw our friend said Wolf at the open practice the other day, as well as a couple other people. We know uh, a lot of fun to see the boys back on the ice. We sat down with Jack Peart this past week, check out that interview as well. And of course we're going to have Brett Larson on right before the Huskies play St. Thomas uh, in about five and a half weeks or so as well. You're not going to want to miss any of it. And of course we're going to have episode number 77 coming up to you next Sunday as well. We'll see you soon here in the den. And your one-timer come in, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perks! So Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.